We are in our fifth part, as I said, which today's title is More Than Lip Service. James is going to be dealing with primarily the mouth and the tongue. And we are going to see today that religion requires more than just lip service, more than just talk. It requires something more, something substantive. So we are going to open our presentation with a word of prayer. So please bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you because you love us. We are merely responding to that love this morning. We want to thank you that we can have a real experience with you, the God of the universe. The God that seems so far removed at some points in our life, but we are praying today that you would draw near to us. And Father, that we would draw near to you, that we would respond to your proximity today. We ask that as we open your word, that your spirit would be poured out in full measure. That we may have an understanding today of what it means to have a religious experience. Of what it means to have a real connection with you is our prayer. In Jesus' name we are asking these things. Amen. Just to catch you up so far in the series, we have seen that James's letter has a kind of Old Testament flavor and feel, not unlike the book of Proverbs. We are going to see time and time again today in James chapter 3 that James is, is really laying out these, these quite pregnant quotes or quite pregnant verses or lines that we see as we pick one by one, go one by one through the book of James. James chapter 3 today, we are going to see that James has this proverbial feel and we are going to see him echoing, especially the book of Proverbs from the Old Testament. James depends more than any other New Testament author on the teachings of Jesus. He weaves Jesus' teaching into the very fabric of his own instruction. And again, we are going to see that time and time again today that James is weaving in to his own teaching. It's almost atmospheric in his teaching, the teachings of Jesus. We are talking, or James, sorry, is talking to a group of people that is not unlike us. A group of people that are displaced from where they should be. As Adventists, we believe that we are displaced, that we are not at home. That this world is not our home, that we are merely passing through. And James is talking to a group of people that were literally displaced from their homes. They were impoverished and they were persecuted. But one of the things that we've noticed is that this is not an excuse. James doesn't see the audience's circumstances as an excuse for poor Christian behavior. And this is going to be driven home to us today. That our circumstances are not an excuse. Our circumstances are not an excuse for poor Christian behavior, that the standards are still high. James's audience, impoverished, persecuted, displaced, the standards, James continues to raise the standard. We are going to go, let's go together to James chapter 3 and verse 1. 
James chapter 3 and verse 1. We're diving in to James chapter 3 and verse 1. This comes off the back of James chapter 2, where the key take-home message was having a faith that works. And now James is going to show us what a faith that works looks like in the day-to-day when he says, in James chapter 3 and verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Why is it that James encourages us to not seek out to be a teacher? Why shouldn't so many of us seek to become teachers? It is because teachers will receive a stricter judgment. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 48, we see James's teaching here echoing Jesus' teaching. It's almost atmospheric. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be what? Required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Meaning that we who are in the know, we will be judged stricter according to James. We who seek a teaching platform will be judged stricter. Why? Because to him who has been committed much, much will be required. Again, Douglas Moo, the author of the letter, seems to have been so stoked in the atmosphere and the specifics of Jesus' teaching that he can reflect them almost unconsciously. Do I think that James was sitting down reading Luke chapter 12? No, most definitely not. But James is so soaked in the teachings of Jesus that they almost go side by side. They almost reflect one another perfectly. This is coming on the back of statements from people like Luther who said that the book should almost be forgotten because it is so void of Christ. We are seeing a very different picture as we study through the book of James that James is soaked in the very atmosphere of Jesus' teaching. So why is it that we shouldn't seek to be teachers because we will receive a stricter judgment? Matthew goes on to say the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus builds a bit of a picture for what the teachers, the Jewish teachers, were like in his day. Why is it that James would encourage his church members, these people that were predominantly Jewish by makeup, Jewish converts to Christianity, why is it that James would encourage them not to be seeking to be teachers? The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. In other words, whatever the religious leaders tell you to do, you should do it. Why? Because they know what the right thing is to do. But then he goes on to say, but do not do according to what? To their works. Why is it that they, we should listen to what the teachers are telling us? It's because they tell us the right things. Why is it that Jesus' followers should listen to the Pharisees? It's because they knew. They knew the right thing to say. But did they live according It says, for they say and do not do, for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be what? 
to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their government, uh, garments. Sorry. It says they loved the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, the greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Jesus is saying here that there are a group of people, the, the elect in his time, These elect in in the Jewish religion, in the Jewish society, that enjoyed sitting in the best places in the synagogues. They enjoyed being greeted by the highest greetings. They enjoyed being puffed up by the men and women around them. But did they walk according to their teachings? Did they follow through with the things that they were saying? No. For this reason, James says, that we should not seek to be teachers. Why? Because we set the standard higher for ourselves. When we continue to speak, we set the standard higher and we provide more opportunity to cause others to stumble, not just ourselves. James is making a clear point here, and that is that your lip service isn't doing you any favors. In other words, saying the right thing isn't helping. Saying the right thing isn't helping. Mere lip service without follow through, it means nothing. Faith that works is a requirement of religion. Faith that works. It says, uh, this is um, Blomberg and Camel make this point based on James chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, teachers in the ancient Mediterranean world were far more than transmitters of tradition. Why is it that we shouldn't seek to be teachers? Why is it that James would give this encouragement to his audience? Why isn't that they should not seek to stand up in front and teach others. It says that the ancient Mediterranean world, the, the, the teachers were far more than mere transmitters of tradition. They were models to be imitated in every walk of life. These were people that were standing up that were to be imitated. It says, as Paul repeatedly exemplifies by calling people to imitate his own ministry of service. We see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16... Paul says, therefore, I what? I urge you to what? Imitate me. The the teachers in the Near East, the teachers in the Mediterranean world were that which we should be imitating. And James is saying that if you seek to put yourself up on a pedestal, be careful because a stricter judgment will be awaiting you. A stricter judgment will be awaiting you. Again, it says, when we undertake to guide others in the faith, we must be especially careful to exhibit the fruit of that faith by which we live. The the Pharisees were saying the right thing, but they weren't following through. They weren't living accordingly. A commentator, Douglas Moo, says that when we set ourselves a standard, we should also live according to the standard. It says, our greater knowledge brings with it a greater what? Responsibility to live according to that knowledge. Do we as Christians have a greater responsibility this morning? 
Do we claim to have a high calling as Christians? Do we claim to have a knowledge that others do not possess? We certainly do. We are sitting here today as people that claim to understand the Adventist message, the everlasting gospel that is to be preached to the ends of the world. Does that come with it a certain responsibility, church? It certainly does. And we should feel the weight of that responsibility this morning. We should feel a burden to be living out the high calling that God has placed on us. We should feel a burden to be following through on the things that we sing about, on the things that we claim to have knowledge of, that should not be evident just in the way that we talk, but in the way that we live our life. Can I say amen to that? I certainly can. Religion by affiliation is not religion. In other words, just merely coming and sitting and being a part of an Adventist community, just standing on the outer, attending lunches every here and now, now and again, it's not enough. Religion requires you to get in, to become a part of. It requires not just affiliation, but actually an infilling, a transformation. So we as Christians today sitting here have a high calling. There is a standard that has been set. We shouldn't claim a knowledge that we are not living out. James says that we will be judged stricter because we know more. We have a greater understanding of. And so it comes with a certain responsibility. The knowledge that each of us possess comes with a responsibility. And that responsibility is to our fellow man. It's to our families. That we would be living out the high calling that God has placed on us. And we are going to see through the book of James that he has the answer as to how we can accomplish this. Let's go to James chapter 3 and verse 2. As we continue on James's thought here, it says, For we all stumble in many things. Another reason why we shouldn't seek to be up the front teaching Because the more times we're up the front with a microphone in our hands, the more opportunity we have to stumble, the more opportunity we have for words to come out that we may be regretted later on. I can vouch for that, speaking up the front and then going to Darnell's afterwards and being berated for the mistakes that I made that day. Cuts deep into my soul. For we all stumble, all of us stumble, Darnell, in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he or she in this case is a perfect man or woman, or able also to bridle the whole body. James makes a very significant point here, and that is that the one that is able to control the what? The mouth is able to control everything. Why? Because the mouth is unruly, the tongue is unruly, and he is going to go on to exemplify this, to show us examples of. It says, let the wicked forsake his way. This is found in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. What are we to forsake? Our thoughts. 
James has just told us that he who is able to control the tongue or bridle the tongue is able to control the entire body. James is giving us clear instruction that we are to control the things that come out of our mouth. uh, In Isaiah, we find that we are, are to control our thoughts. Let's see what else James has to say here. It's, uh, sorry, sorry, James chapter 1, this is found in, it says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and what? Slow to wrath, or in other words, James is giving us counsel to control our emotions. Be slow to wrath, control our thoughts control our emotions. Here James is telling us to control our words. This is a difficult thing that James is telling to each one of us. James is telling us that we have the ability to control the things that come out of our mouth, that we will be responsible for the things that come out of our mouths. Are you with me, church? Is this not a challenging thing that James is saying to each one of us? How many of us have found ourselves in a situation where we say we just let something slip? Maybe someone has told us to keep something in confidence and we were not able to. Maybe we have been spreading rumors about people that we were not supposed to, but it just comes out so naturally. Will I really be held accountable for things that just come so naturally to me? James is saying that we are able to bridle our tongue, and in so doing, in exemplifying this bridling of the tongue, we will be able to bridle the entire being, James is saying. Society is spiraling out of control, I think you'll agree with me on this point, due to a lack of self-control. We are living in an age where it doesn't matter what you do, think, or say, as long as it doesn't affect anyone else. It doesn't matter what you do, think, or say. That's up to you, as long as it doesn't inhibit my ability to do, think, or say whatever I want to do. Or does it? We are living in a time when self-control is completely out the window. It's almost an unacceptable term. We are encouraged as young people, to live out our passions. We are encouraged to do the things that make us feel good. We are encouraged to do the things that we want to do. Whatever we want to do, we can do. Is that not the case? Is that not the times that we are living in? We are living in a society where self-control is an archaic term. It is not something that is exemplified in the lives of our leaders. It is not something that is spoken of as an ideal to be sought after. Something to be valued. Self-control is an archaic term. And for that reason, we are watching as society spirals out of control. But James comes in and says that you are able to control your emotions that you are able to control the words that come out of your mouth. Isaiah jumps in with, you are able to control your thoughts. This is flying in the face of what society is teaching us. Go and do whatever you want to do. The Bible is telling us to have self-control. 
there is a key to this as we continue studying. Let's go to James chapter 3 and verse 3. It says, Indeed we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. It says, Look also at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. James now uses two illustrations to to declare what he is about to go on with. There is a little thing called the tongue. And it is able to have a large impact. Just like a bridle in a horse's mouth, you are able to steer the entire horse. You are able to control the entire body. Just like the rudder on a ship, a small little instrument is able to control even the greatest of ships, even in the greatest of storms. James is about to illustrate here the power of the tongue, the power of the word, the power of speech. It says, James' pastoral concern is that people are underestimating the power of the tongue. James is worried that those living in these displaced communities are underestimating the power of their words. They are almost making excuse for the way that they are talking, the way that they are relating to their oppressors. And James is saying that this is not good enough. Just like a tongue is able to control the entire member, just like a bridle in a horse's mouth, just like the rudder on a ship, it can be controlled is the point that James is going to be making here. Small things can have a big impact. The little decisions that that we make on a day-to-day can have an impact on eternity. Eternity is not made up of two or three big decisions that we make in our life. Eternity is made up in the small decisions. And just so with this, the way that we use our words has a big impact on people's lives. The often overlooked things like speech are able to have a large, a huge impact on people's lives and psyche. It says in the book of Proverbs, scoundrels create trouble. Their words are a destructive blaze. It said there in verse 5, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest fire, a, a great a forest, a little fire kindles. In other words, it only takes a little fire to set the entire forest ablaze. Just like the spreading of a rumor, just like the slip of the tongue, it only takes a moment in order to set a course or in order to create a destructive blaze that destroys lives. Maybe we have experienced this in our own life. Maybe we have destroyed other people's lives by the things that we have said and done as a result. Let's continue reading here in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Strong language. The tongue itself, is it set on fire by hell? Let us read this once more. And the tongue is a fire. 
the Bible says. Let's actually read it in another translation. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the entire body and sets fire to the course of human existence and is set on fire by hell. Is this strong language that James is using? Is this strong counsel that James is giving to his church or those that have been displaced in the diaspora? Of course it is. James is saying that the way that we use our words, the things that we say have a great impact. And that has been definitely true in my own life. And I'll share that with you in a moment. The tongue in its destructive path wreaks havoc and corrupts one's entire life. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced what it feels like to be on the receiving end of scathing remarks? Do you know what it feels like to be brought down by someone else's words? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. If only that were true. If only sticks and stones were the only things that we had to worry about. If only sticks and stones or people doing physical damage to us. If only that was the thing that could bring harm to us. Name calling, words, scathing remarks are able to sink far deeper into our soul than any stick or stone could ever do. Are you with me on that? Sure can. The world has been telling us, for some of us ever since we are born, that we are not good enough. The world continues to to spit out this poison that we are not good enough. That you will never make it as a man. That you will never be pretty enough as a woman. That no one could ever love you. That no one could ever be with you, that you could never love as someone deserves. The world continues to spit out this poison that we are not good enough. And we spend our entire lives fighting against this very reality. For most of us, this is a reality that is oh so close to our heart. Are we able to be the mother that our kids require? Are we able to be the church leader that our church members need? Are we able to say the right thing and do the right thing and be what everyone needs us to be when they need us to be it, even though we have all of this pressure being heaped on us? Are we able? Are we good enough? Society tells us no, unless we have a new car, of course. Or unless we use this razor instead of that razor. Or unless we do this instead of that. Society uses this weakness, this insecurity that each of us carries as a sales technique. Something that can be triggered at just the right points to make you pull out your credit card at at the right time. But for so many of us, we live with this insecurity. And I, I believe that you understand what I'm talking about there. The tongue is the avenue through which life itself is corrupted. James makes the most outrageous statement here. That the tongue is set on fire by hell itself. And that it destroys not just the moment 
We've all said things that have ruined the moment. The tongue not only destroys the moment, but has a lasting impact for the rest of the day. How many of us have been to bed thinking about what someone said earlier that day? The tongue not only destroys the moment, not only destroys the day, not only can destroy our high school experience, but it can destroy our career opportunities. The things that people tell us can destroy the way that we look at ourselves in the mirror. And this doesn't just have an impact on the here and now, this has an impact on generations. James, the phrase James uses here in James chapter 6, it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. What James is doing is referencing something in pagi, uh, sorry, pagan religions. This idea of the circle of life or the cycle of life, the wheel of existence, it used to be called in ancient times. This cycle that continues to go on and on. And we see that coming out in Eastern religions today with things like reincarnation. This cycle that that keeps on going. And what James is doing here is saying that the tongue, the words that we speak, are able to not only destroy the body, but this cycle itself. How many of us are living with insecurity as a result of things that our parents said to us? How many of us are living with insecurity as a result of things that their parents said to them? How many of us are living as a result of the choices that our great, great, great grandfathers made or grandmothers? It is incredible to see the, the, the impact that words, such a small thing, can have on the overall course of someone's life. The tongue is a powerful member, James is saying. It's capable of gossip, lying, boasting. Who is able to control it? It's interesting that the tongue is corrupt, but religion It's said in James chapter 1, is undefiled. Undefiled religion is not being stained by the world. There is a way for us to experience a release from the corruption that so many of us feel and experience on the day-to-day. The tongue that starts the fire is ultimately punished by what? Fire. The irony of James chapter 3 and verse 6 is that the tongue that sets on fire the forest will ultimately be punished by fire itself. Let's go on to read James chapter 3 and verse 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Every kind of beast of the field is tamed by mankind. I remember I was over in Ponape fishing. I enjoy fishing and especially out there where there's not much uh, fishing happening and so you're able to catch much bigger fish than you would have otherwise been able to catch. And so I'm out one day with these men on a boat fishing. There's three of us present. 
And for some reason, our fish started coming back in pieces. Our fish started coming back in half. And so we were wondering why it is that our fish was coming back in halves. And so as we, uh, we would normally pull in the fish quite quickly, but we realized that they couldn't escape the predator that was beneath. And so we started pulling them in just a little bit slower. And when I say we, I was sitting on the other side of the boat as the other man was pulling in the fish. I didn't want to get anywhere near what was happening below the surface. And so I was giving myself as much distance as possible. But for the sake of the story, I'll say we were were doing this. There I am on the boat, pulling in this shark. And okay, I wasn't pulling it in. The other guy was pulling it in, but I was providing all the support. If he needed shade or anything, I would have provided it. There he was, manly, pulling in this thing that was beneath. And then when they got it to the surface, that same man, I'll say we, began to cut off the fins of the shark. Began soaring, just soaring away at a shark in the water, hand out, leaning outside the boat, soaring off a shark's tail. He then started cutting the fins of the shark, flipped it over, and then stuck his knife in its stomach and began cutting down the center of the shark. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there supporting in my activities, freaking out, wondering if it's safer to be in the boat or out of the boat, because now the guy pulls the uh, the shark inside the boat. This wasn't the biggest boat I was sitting in at the time. And so there I am, sitting inside the boat with a shark that's just had its fins cut off. Do sharks with their tails cut off get angry? Yeah, they actually do, just in case you're wondering. And so now this shark wants to eat me. It could see my role in the activities that have been taking place, and it knows that I had an active part in its capture. And so I'm sitting up on the edge of the boat with my legs kind of sitting up on the side, hoping that I would still have my legs at the end of the trip. At this stage, I can see the shark's eye, and it is telling me that it wants to eat me. It is saying, I have gone down, and I'm going to take you down with me. So there I am, stuck in a boat with a shark, and it's going to eat me. And I'll show you the scars later on. I had the last laugh that day. I was able to tame this critter of the deep, as you can see in this photo. I was happier later on in the day when it had stopped breathing, and so I decided to take it for a swim, as you can see here in this photo. (laughs) If you look closely, it looks like it's alive, maybe, but it's got a hook hanging out of its mouth, and if you look very closely, you can actually see its insides uh, dragging on the ocean floor there. Sorry for those that don't like sharks' insides on the screen at church. We were given the role of subduing. Does that mean killing everything in the ocean? No, by no means. Am I proud of the things that those men did that day? No, not at all. Did I take advantage of the opportunities that it presented? Definitely. Got like 12 likes on Facebook. I was pretty happy with this photo when it, when it went up. The point is that James is saying that we are able to control even the wildest of beasts. But he goes on to say something here in verse 8. 
but no man can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly what? Poison. Deadly poison. We are able to control even the wildest of beasts. But we cannot even control this little member inside of ourselves that boasts great things, that speaks great things, and is able to spit out even the deadliest of poison. James' allusion to creation, speaking here, uh, scholars see that what James is doing when he says, for every beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea, what he is doing here is bringing our minds back to creation. He is alluding back to the Genesis account in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And he makes this point. James' allusion to creation recalls the divine mandate to the first humans to subdue the world. While the animal world remains under humanity's control, thus preserving the creation order, the tongue does not. While we are able to control even the craziest of beasts, we are not even able to control even our own tongues. Ellen White makes an incredible statement based on James chapter 3 and verse 8. She says, Only through Christ can we gain the victory over the desire to speak, what? Hasty, unchristlike words. Only through Christ can we gain the victory. In other words, no man, as James is saying here, is able to do it. No man can control the things that comes out of his mouth. No woman can control the things that come out of her mouth on her own. And that's the point. No man can tame. No woman can tame. But Ellen White interjects. But there is someone else who is able to gain the victory. Only through Christ can we gain the victory over the desire to speak hasty, unchristlike words. When in His strength we refuse to give utterance to Satan's suggestions, the plant of bitterness in our hearts withers and dies. The Holy Spirit can make the tongue a savor of life unto life. James makes this incredible point that that the tongue, it is able to speak both good and bad. It is able to be a force for both good and for bad. Ellen White steps in and says that the only way that we can have control over our tongues is by giving Christ control of our lives. Only then can we gain victory. Only then will we have an opportunity of self-control. Let's continue reading here in verse 9 where it's going to make this point very strongly. With it we bless our God and Father and with it, being the tongue, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Out of the same mouth, James is saying, we are able to give blessings to God. 
We are able to stand up the front of church and say, God, thank you so much for your love and your kindness and your forgiveness. But then out of the same mouth, we are able to go and and give scathing remarks to our friends and our family, those that we love the most or at least claim to. Out of the same mouth, James says, how can it be so? How can there be such an inconsistency in the things that are coming out of your mouth, James says? Why is it that we can see the same people that are so good up the front of church, but also so bad when they're not around their church friends? Lip service is not enough. Simply knowing the right things to say up the front of church is not enough to have a religious experience. Again, James is echoing the teachings of Jesus where Jesus says, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. And then he ends with this point, You can do better. We can do better, church. Can I get an amen to that? We can do better. We who sit here in church and sing at the right times, and speak at the right times, and give our happy Sabbaths and whatever else. We can do better when it appears that no one from church is watching, when it appears that no one is going to find out what we are saying or doing, or what we are saying behind people's backs. Let's continue reading here, and we're going to finish on this point. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear frigs, uh, figs? Sorry. Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. Going on in Luke chapter 6, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. His mouth speaks. You see, what's happening here? is James is echoing what Jesus is saying in that when your mouth speaks, it is showing what's truly in your heart. When you hear these things coming out of people's mouths, it is a reflection of what is truly going on inside. So what is the answer here? How is it that we can gain victory? Can we be like a spring that is sending forth both salt water and fresh water? Can someone contain both a good heart and a bad heart? No, there is only one spring. There is only room for one outlet. And it is out of the heart that the mouth speaks, out of the overflow that the mouth speaks. So what is happening here? What is the solution to this situation? You see, we often don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. When we are on the receiving end of these scathing remarks, that is not necessarily a reflection of who? Us. It is a reflection of them. We do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. And so we who are broken go around and we continue to spit out this poison. 
This cycle that continues to go through. Sorry, that was a bit exciting. This cycle that we're on. As we receive a scathing remark from one, we build it up. We internalize it. It poisons our lives. And then we naturally go on and dish it out to someone else. We are constantly living in this tension, ready to snap at any given point. Do any of us feel like that today? We are on the receiving end of so much that when we get to those that we love, we snap, we let it go. It shows what's truly going on, the instability that is truly in our hearts. James is encouraging us here to be consistent, not perfect. Are you following with me there? James is encouraging for us as Christians to remain consistent. James wants us who come to church, who profess these things on a Saturday morning, to live our lives that way through the week. To live according to the things that we are saying. Is that an unreasonable uh, um, ask this morning? Is it unreasonable for James to expect that we would live our lives through the week as we profess on the weekend? Is it unreasonable for us as those seeking a religious experience this morning to be consistent in the way that we deal with people and especially ourselves? James chapter 1 and verse 26 goes on to say, If anyone among you thinks he is religious, notice this, and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is what? Useless. In other words, if you come to church every week, if you listen to sermons online, if you are listening to the gospel but not allowing it to become a part of who you are and transform the way that you deal with people, the way that you speak. Guess what? Your religion is worth it. Your religious experience is not authentic. A real religious experience is one that allows Christ to take control even of the tongue. Even of the tongue, of the thoughts and of the emotions. Everyone can see through your lip service. Notice here in this verse, if anyone thinks, if anyone is trying to deceive themselves, notice goes on and cannot bridle the tongue, he deceives his own heart. Who are we tricking? Ourselves. We are not able to fool anyone else, or maybe we think that we can, but we cannot. When we are not having a religious experience, the only person that we are deceiving is ourselves. Is ourselves. Everyone can see through your lip service. The point is very clear. Change is what? Possible. Do better, church, is what James is saying. And I believe it's what he's encouraging us to do today. Notice the way that you're using your words. Notice the things that you're saying. And do I need to mention Facebook here? We are great Christians on the weekends. But get us online. And all of a sudden we become 
masters. We are able to say what we need to say. We are able to speak our minds. Friends, the Bible is asking, it's demanding consistency. And that is in the way that we portray ourselves at church. That is in the way that we carry ourselves in our families. That is in the way that we portray ourselves online. Let's be consistent with the things that we are doing and saying. I remember in high school, there was a point where I was so insecure that I couldn't go to a public place. I remember there was a point where I was so insecure about the way that I looked, the way that I, the, that I was viewed by people, the things that people would say about me, or at least the fear of what they could say about me, that I could not go out in public. I would go to the shopping center and I would feel like everyone was looking at me. I would go to church and I would feel like everyone was talking about me. I would go out in public and I would feel like everyone was hating on me. I couldn't live like that. I couldn't operate like that. And for my high school years, it's easy to say that I was struggling to function. I've always been big boned. I've always been, there's a little more of me to love, if you know what I'm talking about. And one day at the end of primary school, I was actually changing schools. I went to BAC from um, a school down in Lismore, Blue Hills. And in changing schools, one of the boys in the first week of school called me fat. I was never fat growing up, although I was. But in my own mind, I wasn't. I remember one day in in year six, I think it was. Maybe it was a little bit earlier. But me and my friend, and this guy was big. He was a big boy, but he was the fastest runner in the school. He could do everything he wanted to do. He was an absolute unit. Later on, when he came to play rugby, he was an unstoppable force. He was like a wrecking ball. And this was my friend. And I remember in math class, at a very young age, it was way earlier than year six. Year six math is far more advanced than this. But in our math textbook, we were asked to use the blocks to add up our weight. And so there were blocks of one kilos, a few of them. There were blocks of five kilos. There were blocks of 10 kilos. And so I colored in all of the blocks because I used up all of the blocks to get my weight. And then my friend, who was in the same year, the same age, had to draw in another box that was 20 kilos and he used up all of the other box and then you added another 20 kilos. He was a big boy. I was very proud that I used up all of the blocks. I didn't even have to add it up. I just colored them all in. And this guy's adding in 20 kilos. So my, my security, was, it was firm. I felt great. I was 20 kilos less than this other kid who could do everything he wanted. But then get to high school. One kid calls me fat. I don't have my mate there anymore. I've transferred schools. And now all of a sudden, my whole world comes crashing down. I'm no longer able to interact with human beings. Why? Because of what someone said to me. I listened to what someone else said, and it changed the next five years of my life. 
But the sad thing is that I know that I have said things to people that didn't just change the next five years of their life, but it actually turned their life into a living hell. I was on the receiving end of these remarks, but I know that there have been periods in my life that I've said things to people that were not appropriate. They might not have even been what I believed at the time, but they have ruined people's lives. My words I am responsible for. James says that I can do better, and yet at moments in my life I have let the tongue slip, and it has ruined people's existence. If we were to bring some counselors in here today and ask, what was it that had the biggest impact? Why is it that these people are struggling to, in society? Why is it that these people are struggling in relationships? It would come back to things that people have said to them. It would come back primarily to things that have been said, that have spoken to them. And let me say this, not only our words speak... It is our actions towards people as well. When we show people that they aren't valued, when we show people that they are not good enough, that speaks volumes. And I had that spoken into my life, that I was fat, that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't as good as any of the other kids, and that I would never be good enough. I had that drilled into my psyche It was just that one boy that said something. But I continued to repeat that to myself for year after year after year. Maybe it's not being fat for you that you've had to struggle with. But I know that each of us struggle with this question, am I good enough? And so many of us say things that are not a reflection of who that individual is, but the brokenness that we sense inside of ourselves. Friends, Christ is seeking to put back together the pieces today. Christ is wanting to heal up our broken hearts. It even says in the book of Isaiah that that is exactly the reason why the Messiah came, to heal the brokenhearted, to bind us back together. You see, there is a point to the message that James is presenting to us today. James is saying that our tongue cannot be controlled by any man. But there is a God in heaven who is able to control. There is a God in heaven who is able to get get to the very source of the poison that is being spat out of our mouths each and every day. The question is, are we going to go to God? Are we sick of being in this crazy cycle? Are we sick of saying things that we we don't even have control over, the effects and the damage that they have on those that we claim to love? If that is you this morning, then God is seeking. God is speaking into that situation. And He is saying that you are good enough. Not because of what you can do, not because of what the the scales say back to you, but because of what I have done for you. God is saying that you are good enough. Friends, people are always going to speak into our lives. Some of it's good, but some of it's bad. The question is today, 
What are we doing about our own hearts? We can't control theirs. We can't control the things that are going to be said to us, but we can control what comes out of our mouths. Amen. We can control what we think about ourselves. We can control our emotions according to Scripture. Many of us have never experienced this before. Many of us have never had a religious experience. Because we've never been taught to bridle. We've never been taught to have self-control. But the Bible is saying today that we can control our tongues. That we can control our thoughts and emotions. And that in coming to Christ, that he can bind up our hearts. The mouth is simply speaking of an overflow of the abundance of the heart. So if we want to change the words that are coming out of our mouths, we must go to the source. We must go to Christ to bind us back together. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, We are living lives. We are living out the struggle as a result of things that people have said to us, as a result of things that we have been telling ourselves from the youngest of ages, Father. There are others here like me who have been broken. There are others here like me who have experienced what it feels like to receive this deadly poison that poisons not only our own hearts, but then the things that we say to other people. And we are sick of spitting it out, Father. We are sick of losing control of our temper. We are sick of losing control of our words. And so we are simply asking this afternoon that you would come into this situation, that you would speak life into our dead hearts that you would remove that stony heart as you promise in Scripture and that you would give us a heart that feels what you feel, a heart that is able to speak love like you speak love into us. Father, we, we are asking today that we would be conduits of your love, that the words that we say, that the things that we do would be a reflection of the heart that you have placed in us. Father, this is our cry. We want, to be church that, we want to be a church that has a positive impact in our community. And that we know that the first step in that is to have a transformed heart. To receive something from you. And so we are asking for that today. Father, we notice that the, the key in Scripture is to have this transformation. And so we are, we are asking, we are begging. Because there is nowhere else that we can go. There is nothing else that we can do to tame or bridle who we are. Father, we ask that as you transform us, that we would begin to speak life into our community, into our spouses, into our loved ones, into our children. Father, may you give us a heart that is able to speak life into those that we love the most. We want to be conduits of your love today. And so we are asking that you would do this in us. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are, Father. Because you are able, we pray that this would be the case. Thank you for Christ, for his death upon the cross, and for the option that we have to call upon your name this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.